Well, good morning. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, real quickly, uh, today is Communion Sunday, so you've seen them on the way in. They're at the tables by the doors. If you didn't grab a communion cup, now would be the least awkward time for you to do that, unless you like getting up when everyone's being really quiet like it is now. It's really quiet now. You guys didn't hear me because I was being so quiet. Um, so... I'm excited to be here this morning. It was kind of unplanned, uh, uh, somewhat. Pastor Brett was sick earlier this week and over the weekend, and uh, we were trying to just kind of see how he was going to make it. He's well now, but I just didn't want him to have to carry the worry about, like, I'm sick and I still need to prepare a sermon and all that, so I offered to take it. And so that's why I'm here, and I'm excited to do that. Um, but have you guys ever, like, gotten ahead of yourselves, you know, just overconfident, thinking that you're that you've got something under control, really, really just confident, self-assured, and then it just kind of fell, fell apart, falls apart. Do you guys ever have any experiences like that? Show of hands real quick if you've ever had that happen. Good, okay. Yeah, I think it happens more to me than I feel comfortable sharing that, that it does. It's really uh, unfortunate how often we have to get checked and reminded that we are just not as awesome as we think, you know. Um, I was thinking about this passage, and, and, and the story came to mind, really a scene from Spider-Man Homecoming of all movies. Uh, if you haven't seen that, I'm not going to ruin anything, I don't think. Um, Pastor Adam used to like to share movies, and he would always like spoil something. Uh, so Adam, if you're watching this, I'm going to try not to do that, but I did sit under you for a long time, so we'll see if that happens. But uh, I don't think it is. So Peter Parker, he's Spider-Man. He's gotten a taste of what it's like to be Spider-Man, uh, to have some power and to have some authority. Uh, he's been sent on some missions up at this point in this movie, and he's done a lot of cool things. And then one day he finds out about well, some things. I can't tell you because I'm trying not to spoil anything in case you haven't seen this old movie. Um, he finds out about some stuff. It's a pretty big deal. And so he goes and he tells Tony Stark about it, who is Iron Man. And so Tony tells him not to get involved, just to leave it alone. But Peter doesn't listen. And he instead hacks his suit safety system, allowing him to break the protocols and the boundaries that have been set for him. And he continues to go on and make a huge blunder of himself and cause a lot of danger for a lot of people. So one of my favorite scenes from this movie is after the fact when Peter is way up on a building and he's reflecting on what's happened, on his decisions and how things had kind of gone wrong. And Iron Man shows up and Tony begins speaking with him through this suit. And he's done this before where he's kind of shown up, but it was just an empty suit speaking and Tony was like controlling it and speaking through a, uh, an intercom system through it. But... That's what we've been led to believe, and that's what Peter has been led to believe as well, or at least that's what he's thinking in this moment. So they have this corrective exchange where Tony's kind of just correcting some things, and then he says, everyone is okay, but he adds, no thanks to you. And that really offends Peter and sends him on this rant, and he says, those things were out there, and I tried to tell you about it. And if you would have listened to me, uh, none of this would have happened he says, if you even cared, you'd actually be here. And then at that moment, the suit opens up and out walks Tony Stark. So it was like a surprise. Could you imagine being that bold? And then out comes someone you didn't think was there. And so they have this corrective exchange where Tony says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong part. And at that moment, Iron Man's suit opens up and out walks Tony Stark. And then he says this. He says, I did listen, kid. And he goes on to tell him that, he had done all these things and how he had believed in Peter. He believed Peter and he made some moves because of that. 
But it was clear in this moment that Peter had just gotten way ahead of himself. He became overconfident in himself and he needed to be checked. And because of that, he had caused some trouble. And so what we see is something kind of similar with our disciples. They have kind of their own rags to riches story as well. And so to set the stage for our time together this morning, I'm going to invite Brooke Hogan up and she's going to read our passage for us this morning in Mark chapter 9, verses 25 through 29. So if you're willing and able, would you please rise for the reading of God's word this morning? When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd of people, said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Thank you, Brooke. You guys can have a seat and keep your Bibles open there in Mark chapter 8, we're gonna, or chapter 9 is where we're going to be spending majority, if not most, of our time this morning. Uh, but let's pray together. Let's commit this service to the Lord, and then we'll unpack our text together. Father God, we're just grateful, Lord, for uh, your patience with us, um, your long-suffering. Uh, we're grateful, Lord, for your love and for your mercy. Um, God, the fact that you shower us in grace and when we don't deserve it. So I pray, Lord, that you would um, just remind us of that as we uh, uh, sit under the teaching of your word, as we subject ourselves to the authority of your scriptures, God. I pray, Lord, that um, you would speak to us through it and that you would be glorified through our service today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, the disciples, they have their own kind of origin story, uh, and they're just regular guys, right? Most of them are fishing to provide for their families. Um, I'm assuming scraping by at times, just hard workers, and then they all of a sudden meet this Jesus guy, and they, they start following him, and then he gives them power and authority. They've really had quite the experience, haven't they? I mean, if you want to talk about mountaintop experiences, I mean, just look at the past two years that the disciples had with Jesus. I mean, they've seen so much. They've been a part of so much. They've done so much. And so at this point, I think it's safe to say that they've had some time to build up a little confidence in themselves. So I imagine them coming across this boy and almost just being like, hey, man, I got this one. I can do this on the backstroke. I've done this plenty of times. Watch out. Watch this. Uh, you guys ever know that, you know that feeling of absolute embarrassment when uh, you're trying to do something cool and maybe you've spent a lot of time practicing that thing and maybe you've gotten pretty good at it, so good that you want to show someone, or maybe you feel confident enough to show someone, so you invite these people over, and you're like, hey, watch this, check this thing out, and then you just fail miserably in front of them, and then you're like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, let me try again. You compose yourself, and you go at it again, and then you fail again, and then you just say, well, it's just because I could do it. It's just because you're watching me now. I couldn't do it. I could do it earlier. Believe me. I feel like that's what we have going on here. But this one, it carries with it some more weight because this isn't just like a neat trick that they've been working on or something neat to show off. There's a boy's life on the line. Right? There's, there's, there's more at stake. And so if you remember back to verses 14, the beginning of our, of our section, 
And the scene that Jesus walks in on after coming down the mountain is one of chaos. There's a large crowd gathered. There are teachers of the law arguing with the disciples, most likely over whether or not their claims are legitimate, whether they're lying and they're trying to fool everyone. And that's because they had just failed to do something that they were so confidently sure that they could do. And so this is important because it has the potential to sow seeds of doubt and distrust, not only in the disciples, but in Jesus. And so this isn't a small thing. But Jesus steps in and he has this beautiful conversation with the boy's father. And he saves the boy's life. While he's doing that, there's screams and there's convulsions of the child and it's surely striking fear into all the people that are around him. But then Jesus says, I command you to leave this child and never come back. What authority. It was a special moment. Jesus had just revealed himself to be exactly who he says. And if there was any argument about the legitimacy of Jesus and his power, it was answered here in that moment. And I love that he grabs the seemingly lifeless boy's hand and he brings him to his feet, stands him up. And it's just like the perfect image of what Jesus has done for those who have believed in him. The old has passed, the new has come, the old has died. He gives us new life. He picks us up and he sets us on the solid rock. It's a beautiful reminder of who Jesus is and what he has for us. And so we see the disciples, they really kind of hit a speed bump, didn't they? You know, years ago, we, had a, we didn't have a speed bump in the entrance of our back lot. And so uh, I have a friend that I'm not going to name, but when it would be in the middle of winter, snows on the ground, he would just fly in there and then just hit the brake and spin and just donut just as fast as he could. It was very sketchy. Uh, and then, you know, we put a speed bump in, and it took a while for people to get used to that speed bump there. There were many times you'd go over it and you'd spill your coffee all over yourself, or, you know, you're jumping around, bottoming out. Uh, but eventually it works, right? You know, there's a speed bump there now, now you slow down. Unless you're new here and you didn't see it, then that's unfortunate. But speed bumps slow you down one way or another. And we see in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 and 12, that this isn't just like... This, shouldn't surprise, or this should be surprising to the disciples, I guess, because they've previously been able to cast out demons. It wasn't new territory for them. Verse 7 of Mark chapter 6 says, Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Verse 12 says that they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed the sick people with oil and healed them. So what gives? What's the issue here? That's what they want to know. So they follow Jesus into the home and they begin to pepper him with questions. And I kind of imagine it to be a little like the exchange between Tony Stark and Peter Parker. Not the same, just similar in the feel of the conversation. Just having an exchange of words and there might be a little frustration and then ending with, uh, so why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we do this? And then Jesus says a line that I would assume silences them. He says, this kind can only come out by prayer. And even in that line, you can kind of pick up on a little insinuation that they had lacked something. 
And Matthew actually reveals what that lacking was. He gives us another answer to go along with this question. It's from his account of the same story. And Jesus says, because your little faith. For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain to move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So that line would have been a line that made them fall silent. There would have been no, yeah, yeah, but... There would have been no, well, you don't understand, just silence. Could you imagine hearing from the one that you do have faith in, that you have little faith, or that you've misplaced it? And so the point of that isn't that you should have bigger faith so you can bring about your biggest wishes and your hopes and your dreams, no matter how good that they are. This isn't a lesson on how to always get a yes from God. The point is to understand what or who the object of your faith is. Like Travis taught us last week through his final point, a weak faith does not mean a weak savior. It doesn't really matter if the size of your faith is giant or the size of a mustard seed. It doesn't matter if you have full confidence or very little confidence. The point is that your faith is either placed in Jesus or something or someone else. And if it's in anything else, It isn't strong faith. And I think that's what he means. Ultimately, the point is that he is God, that he is the source of power, that he commands demons to flee and to never return, that he is the one who snatched your soul from the grave, that he has the power to move in ways that we will never know or understand. The point of this passage and the many others like it is that Jesus is directly revealing who he is with intentionality because He knew this question was coming. If we know how Jesus operates, then we know he already knew that question was on the horizon. And so when Jesus says, this one only comes out by prayer, it's like he's saying, man, you got way ahead of me, way ahead of yourselves. You forgot me. You forgot the source of the power that you have. In Revelation chapter 2, in the letter written to the church in Ephesus, Jesus says this. He says, I know your works, I know your labors, and your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. I mean, what a sobering passage. It's like, man, at first you were so excited. You were so excited about the Lord. You were passionate. You were zealous about him, and you found yourself motivated to go out and move for the, by the love that you had found in Christ. But after a while, the honeymoon phase wears off. You become numb to the thrill of our forgiveness, desensitized to the severity of sin, accustomed to the grace and the mercy that you've received, maybe even feeling like you have something to do with how good you are. You think that you're strong enough to fight Satan and ward off his attacks on your own. So to the disciples, it was like, you think you can do this without me. I'm the one that gave you the power in the first place. I'm the one from whom all this is possible. Yeah, you've been with me, you are my apprentices, but you are not me. 
There's a scene in another movie. Uh, can you believe that? Two movie references. It's wild. Uh, Back to the Future. You guys know that movie? You guys know that movie, Back to the Future? Good old Marty McFly. Uh, Marty McFly is holding on to the tailgate of a truck, and he's riding a skateboard. Oh, sorry, hoverboard, excuse me, uh, to get speed. And then he lets go, and he just zooms off. You know, you can ride that for a while, but ultimately you're going to have to put your foot back down and push. You can only coast for so long before you have to start pushing again. I think the same is true for us, that we can use God to kind of catapult us, to get us going, and then we just like to let go and coast on what he's already done. Coast on our own, which works a little bit, and you can go for a little while, but it doesn't last. Now, with you and your human will, you can do some things. We know this. You can push yourself somewhat. Human will is good for some areas of life and even small changes. But when we're talking about this kind, he says, this kind being big changes, big opposition in your life, your character, your fight with sin and Satan and what comes of all of it, this kind only comes by life and faith with and in Jesus. Because you've never moved beyond needing Jesus. Never move beyond your need for him. In Matthew 10, 25, Jesus had just had a really hard conversation with the rich young ruler, and then he had to turn to his disciples, and he said, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Then he says later, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't a sermon on that passage, and this really isn't the only point that there is making from this section that I just read, but one part of this teaching is that the rich person cannot see their need for Jesus. Not when they have everything they could ever need, everything they could ever want, and if they're missing anything, they can just buy it. It's really hard for them to see their need for him. And I think sometimes we can kind of fall into that place as believers. You know, so secure in our admittance into the kingdom, you know, we got that ticket, I've got it now. So confident in that, that we forget. We forget how we even gained access. It wasn't because of you. It wasn't because God thought you were so impressive. He didn't think that you were just out here killing it. No, it was because of your brokenness. You saw your need for a savior and you responded to him in faith and in belief, knowing that it was through him. He was the only one who could save you. Jesus was the only one who had the power to forgive and to free you from the chains of sin and death. And you know what? In that moment, did you know everything there was to know about him? No. Did you know everything about the Bible? No. Did you first have to learn the differences between all the different doctrines and all the different denominations that there are out there? No. Or did you just simply believe? It didn't matter who you were, It didn't matter what you knew. The only criteria was a broken heart over the sin in your life and how it caused separation from God and your belief and faith in Jesus alone. That was it. And gaining knowledge is good. I'm a fan of education. I'm a fan of learning. Growth is good. But growth with Jesus is what you're after. Becoming more like him is the point of your growth. Not just so you can win debates or be the smartest person in the room. And it certainly isn't so you can have more pride in yourself. Jesus was and always has been the object of our faith. That's the point. 
Just look at the boy's father and his faith and dependence upon Jesus versus the disciples in that moment. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. That is total dependence on Jesus, who is very clearly the object of a seemingly weak faith by our standards, yet he got it right. The disciples were curious why. Well, it was because they weren't using the Lord. They weren't with him on that. They weren't dependent upon him in that moment. It's apparent from the text that they weren't even communicating with the Father. He says, you weren't praying. There's a lack of prayer. This one only comes out by praying. Prayer being the intentional communion with God, calling upon God for strength, bringing him into that moment with you. He says, you weren't working through it with me. You were just working. It was all you. And so we see it wasn't about the quantity of faith. And I think sometimes we think that when we read small as a mustard seed. Not the quantity of faith. They had it. The disciples had it. Faith the size of a mustard seed was enough, Jesus said. And obviously it wasn't about the quality of faith. And what I mean is when you look at the father who had unbelief, yet he had it right. His quality of faith by our standards would have been weak and poor, but yet he had it right. It was the object of faith. Where or in whom that they had placed it was key. So for us, as we grow, we must know that we cannot do this by ourselves. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did does not mean that we move beyond him and therefore have no need for him. Instead of striving to be the best, instead of trying to impress those around me or even God himself, only to make a fool of myself, I need to remember Jesus. Instead of trying to muster up enough willpower to fix my weaknesses and my inabilities and my limitations, I need to let my weaknesses drive me to his strength. I need to let my inability, my inability to drive me to his ability, I need to let my limitations drive me to his unlimited resources. I need to let my humility drive me to his sufficiency. You'll never be beyond your need for Jesus. And as demonstrated by his power before the disciples, this was a sobering reminder that you are not the one. He is. Jesus said, this could only be defeated through prayer, and some translations say, and fasting. And fasting being intentional abstinence from food and water to commit to more time of prayer. Point being intentionality and preparedness in your time with the Lord. A casual approach to anything that needs to change in your life will never be sufficient. Yet we are casual with the Lord because we feel as though we ought to be self-sufficient. And self-sufficiency may be viewed as a great strength by the world, but it is deadly to your spiritual life. It causes us to think more highly than we ought to of ourselves, and it makes us miserable when we fail. Why? Because we thought we could do it on our own, and our failure hurts our pride, and our pride tells us that we don't need him. What ought to happen is that when we fail, we should, it should cause us to do the same thing that the, that the disciples did. They asked why. 
When you fail, you need to ask why. It was good that they had this question. Why did this happen? They needed to be taught. They needed this heart check. They needed the speed bump to slow them down. They got ahead of themselves. So whenever the disciples are separated from Jesus in Mark's gospel, they always get in trouble and they always experience some kind of crisis. What a valuable lesson we learn from this, that you never advance beyond your need for Jesus. So my first question for you this morning is simple. Where is your faith? Where are you at with the Lord in the current state of affairs in your own life? Who or what is really the object of your faith? Have you left him behind in your efforts to be the best Christian that you can be? Are you motivated by how others will see you? Are you motivated by anything other than Jesus in his heart for you and the mission of the gospel? Have you been doing good but forgotten the love you had at first? Man, you could be on the mountaintop or in the valley. We know that God is God no matter where you're at. But what happens in the valleys or on the mountaintop is that we make it harder to see him in those areas. We let ourselves get in the way of our view of him, and so we fail to see him altogether. We forget him. We're either too proud of who we are or too ashamed of who we are. But the answer for both is simple. We need to remember Jesus. I hope this is making sense that it isn't about how big or little your faith is. It isn't about how strong your faith is. It really is about who your faith is in despite its condition. And so my second question for you this morning is, are you praying? It sounds like a silly question to a room full of Christians, doesn't it? Are you praying? Are you intentionally communing with God? Prayer is a direct means of communication between you and the Holy One, the Father. It's your direct access to him through the Holy Spirit. And I've personally been on what I would call a reformation journey with my prayer life. Because I found that in my prayer, uh, my prayers, it just felt very dull, very robotic, and had no power in it. And if we believe in Jesus, if we are learning from him as we follow him, then it is clear that prayer is essential to our life with God. It is vital to victory over sin. It is vital for our relationship with him. It is vital for the relationship that you have with those around you and your loved ones. And I know that this sounds like Christianity 101 stuff here, but if I asked you to raise your hand if you struggle with prayer, and then I, I just know that if you were honest, most hands would go up because prayer is hard. It's difficult. It's confusing at times. It feels like maybe you're talking to no one at times. We struggle with silence. We don't like to sit in vulnerability. It's a hard thing. Sometimes we don't understand what's happening. We do it because we know we're supposed to, but we don't know why. But I'm working to improve the health of my prayer life by doing what the father of the boy did in our passage, to ask him for help, to confess that I believe, but I'm also struggling with this area, how to enter into this. What does he want from me there? Help me in that. I believe there's real power in prayer. When God's people pray, he moves, he responds, he listens. Prayer has the power to bring about change if God so chooses. It is so much more than, help me on this test. Help me to be nice. 
God, if you come through for me, then I promise I'll follow you. It's so much more than those things. It is conversing with the God of all creation and the fact that he has time for me and that he actually desires time with me is remarkable and it's worthy of my investment. It's worthy of our pursuit to know better how to pray and why to pray. And I believe it's important because, well, because I believe that a lack of prayer equals that little faith that Jesus is talking about. I think it reveals it. It reveals the object of our faith when we lack prayer. And I really just want to give us some ways that we can maybe begin to recenter Jesus as the object of our faith, maybe to rekindle or maybe even ignite for the first time a passion for this area of your life, for prayer. And man, if you're hearing this and you're just a prayer warrior, then that's great. Stick at it. But I know for a lot of us, we desire to be prayerful. We desire to be prayer warriors ourselves, but prayer is difficult. And so my encouragement to you is to just start small. Don't look for some mountaintop experience. Don't feel like you have to do this for 30 minutes to an hour. Maybe it's just starting out at three to five minutes. Simple. Maybe you need to set a time in your calendar, whatever the best time of day is for you. Carve it out, three to five minutes, and just stick with it. If you don't know what to say, then start praying through the Psalms or the Lord's Prayer. He's given us words to say. My only caveat is to move slowly. The key is not to rush through it to get it done. I think it's helpful to take a couple of deep breaths, which maybe feels weird to you, but deep breaths beforehand just to calm yourself. If you're like me, I've got a billion things on my mind. It's so hard to quiet my mind before the Lord and to focus on him. So I just take a couple breaths and then I see him. Pause slightly before him. I would just like to add, if you're struggling with prayer particularly, it could be helpful just to let one of us know. You could fill it in on the, on the little connect card. You could turn it in. We'd like to set up a time with you. Maybe we can meet and just chat about it. But I want us to wrestle with these things. And I want to invite you to evaluate your faith. As we do so, I really want to help us enter our time of communion this morning I want us to wrestle with this stuff. I want us to ask some questions. So to do this, I want you to do something that we don't normally do. I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes. Take a couple deep breaths. And just place yourself in your mind before the Lord and simply say, Lord, here I am. I think that this helps us just to acknowledge that I'm in your presence. I'm entering in before you. I know you're already here, but here I am. Quite the opposite of the scene in the garden when, when sin enters the world and Adam and Eve flee and they, they hide from him. We don't want to hide from him. We want to tell him that we are here. Invite his inspection and just listen. What has he drawn your mind to? Whatever or whoever it is, submit that to him this morning. Surrender it to him. Maybe you need to repent of something that you've been wrestling with, something that you've been trying to beat on your own, but you need him. You've never not needed him. Give it to him now. Just take a few moments to spend with him and then we're gonna join together in communion.
So take a couple moments to be with him in silence.